Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible therapist, Anna Eslanian. Hi, Anna, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Today, we're going to be talking about transitioning to parenthood. And for those that don't know, Anna Eslanian is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, Florida, and New York. She is the founder and director of My Therapy Corner, a boutique private practice that focuses on individual and relational healing. She has been in the field of psychological care since 2006, including working at many clinics, centers, and programs. Anna is certified in EMDR with a focus on attachment, as well as a Gottman Method couples therapist and Gottman Method educator. Passionate about helping people heal and grow through connection, Anna works with a variety of clients, including those with severe mental illness, substance and sex addictions, and couples dealing with a wide range of emotional problems. Anna is also a Bringing Baby Home Educator, a workshop designed for expecting and parenting couples. How are you today, Anna? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? I'm well, and I'm quite excited. And I really want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on to the show. And before we talk about children, I just wanted to focus on relationships first, because you are thoroughly trained in the Gottman method. And we have talked a bit about Gottman and the research that he does before, but it has been a while. So I'm just curious, what are some of your favorite principles that Gottman teaches? That's a really good question. I've done couples therapy before I got trained in the Gottman method. And the reason I gravitate more towards the Gottman method is it gives really good feedback to couples. And so, you know, from my experience, when couples come to therapy, very few of them come when they don't have any problems, you know, just because you almost never see that, right? Couples usually come in when things aren't going well. And sometimes it's uh, long overdue, right? And then they come in and they want to get something back. They want to get some tools to go home with. Um, And a lot of couples uh, who come in who've had previous couples therapy with different therapists and hasn't been successful, their main complaint is that in previous therapy, you know, they would just argue and leave feeling worse than before, perhaps, and wouldn't get any feedback, right? The, the therapist would just sort of witness and provide empathy and things like that, but they wouldn't get tools. And with the Gutman Method, it gives research-based tools, very simple tools. Of course, you need to practice them, but very simple tools as to, hey, this is what research says. This is what works. This is what doesn't. You want to turn around your relationship, make it better. This is what you got to do. Couples tend to appreciate it. Yeah, it's funny. There's a common trope that anytime you ask a therapist a question, they just give you another question. (laughs) You know, like, what should I do with my life? And they say, well, what do you think you should do? Now, there's some logic behind it. And a lot of times that's very useful because, of course, you want somebody to 
come up with their own solutions to their life. Obviously, they know their life a lot better than than the therapist does. But sometimes it is just really nice to have concrete actions, concrete tools, concrete practices to bring into somebody's life. So you mentioned with Gottman that you send couples home with tools. And I'm curious, what are some of those tools? Like what are their, some of the go-to or some of the tools you find you most commonly equip couples with? Yeah. So depending on the couple and what they're coming in for, we do a very detailed assessment. The assessment for the Gottman Method consists of several sessions, two of which are with just the individuals without the other partner. And that really helps me understand what they bring into the relationship, what we need to focus on more, what may come up, how they process things, all of that. And a lot of the tools will really be tailored to their unique problems. But some of the examples I can bring, you know, for example, if a couple is working on their communication skills, there is very specific tools we give them as far as how to communicate in order not to fall into the pattern of problematic communication that leads to divorce, right? And for example, there are four of them. There is, uh, Blatman refers to them as the four horsemen of apocalypse. Um, I love the name. So the four horsemen are, you know, criticism, right? Like a lot of couples end up stating their complaints as criticism. And that tends to be one of the researched downfalls of the relationship, right? So how do you complain? Because complaining is actually good. It tells your partner what should be focused on more in a relationship, how they can love you better. But oftentimes we don't complain about the behavior. We criticize our partner and attribute negative traits to him or her. So we teach about that, right? The differences between criticism and complaining. Uh, we talk about defensiveness, how not to get defensive. When your partner says something that you feel verbally attacked or you feel somehow wronged, how to not get defensive and instead be able to take responsibility and look at even maybe 5% of your portion in the argument. Also, stonewalling is another one. Uh, how to self-soothe and what happens in your body when you are so overwhelmed, it's called flooding, that you can't physiologically take any information in. So when that happens, it doesn't matter what your partner says, you're not going to be able to take anything in. Knowing what to do in that case, contempt, if contempt shows that's the worst out of all of them, how to turn that into appreciation about what your partner is doing right. With the therapy sessions, I'm very much engaged and I give them this feedback and I give them a heads up beforehand that, hey, I will be interrupting as you guys are talking so I can catch you when you're doing either one of those four errors, you know, and we can correct together because the idea is that you learn the skills in our session and then you practice them outside. So it's not this long-term therapy. You get the tools, you fix your relationship and you move on. So the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we have criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and then the worst of the bunch, as you mentioned, contempt. Mm -hmm. And those are the things we want to short circuit. We want to stop. We want to notice when we're doing that and try our best to shift it. So what do we want to shift it to? Like, what are the things we want to start to cultivate? So one of the things I heard was appreciation. So just being mm -hmm. more appreciative of our partner. So what are some other things we want to start bringing more into our relationship? Yeah, so definitely the appreciation, right? You want to take responsibility for your part in the argument. Uh, oftentimes we get stuck in just seeing our version 
right? And in any kind of argument, in any kind of situation, there is usually two subjective realities happening at the same time, right? If we go to the museum and we look at the beautiful painting, my description of it might be different than yours, even though it's the same painting, right? I might see different, different things may stand out for me than for you. Same if you go watch a musical or something like that. So similarly, you know, when we have an argument or conflict, even if it's the same thing, we may have different uh, experiences with it and both are valid. So when you are able to see your perception and, and take responsibility for ma- your part in it, that is the antidote for defensiveness. And, you know, I think sometimes people have a hard time with that one because they, they're convinced they're right. But the idea is that putting yourself in your partner's shoes and does anything of what he or she's saying make sense to me? You know, if, if they're thinking of it this way, does that make sense how they would feel this way or how what I said could be hurtful for them? And then you want to give that back, right? You can say, okay, I can see how me doing this was hurtful for you. That wasn't my attention. And then the partner is more eager to listen to what you have to say next, right? So we definitely want to take responsibility. It does not mean that you're wrong. It just means that you're willing to also see your part. And you don't want a relationship where you you win, but your partner feels emotionally destroyed every single time and disconnected from you. We also want to learn how to complain, right? To state needs, to talk about what we want instead of what we don't want. Oftentimes we just uh, complain about, well, I don't want you doing this. Or if you just only stop saying that, then things will be better. So we tell our partner what we don't want. And instead learning how to say what you want, making uh, what Gottman refers to as positive requests, right? If, if, if they're doing all everything wrong in your mind and, you know, you're really upset about it, what is it that you want? And can you just say that piece, right? Making requests, not demands, you know? And then, uh, of course, the other one is self-soothing. If you're flooding and you're overwhelmed when you can't take information in, uh, can hear your partner taking a break, you know, and this is where the individual skills come into play, right? Going for a walk, meditating, deep breathing, anything to take your mind off the upsetting thoughts about the argument and then resume when you're in a calmer place. Some really beautiful advice. And I think every couple needs to realize what you just said, which is basically in any argument, you're not trying to agree on one objective reality or make your view the correct one, but realize there are two totally valid subjective realities that your task is to be open to it and to be curious about your partner's other world. And also, I love that make requests, not demands and state what we want rather than what we don't want. And I wanted to ask you more about those kind of two different worlds that we live in. You've written about on your blog that everyone has their own emotional world. And when we come together in relationship, these emotional worlds collide. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about how to navigate this collision. I think partners meet for the first time and they realize they have totally different backgrounds. They lived in totally different upbringings where emotions were treated differently, thoughts were treated differently, communication was treated differently. And then now... They're connecting, but there's also that conflict. So how how can we best navigate this this entire world of collision? You're right. You know, a lot we bring in to our romantic relationship what we've learned growing up as children. So depending on how our parents resolved or didn't resolve conflict, if feelings and talking about feelings was welcomed or maybe you were punished 
for even having, you know, feelings. Uh, a lot of people grew up in very logical uh, families where logic is praised, you know, and any kind of emotions are not good, right? You're weak if you're crying and, and so on. So the first step is really understanding our partner's inner world, including their feelings towards feelings. Um, Gottman refers to this as meta-emotions, and they're sort of like, what do you feel about having feelings, right? You know, how, what feelings come up about the idea of, of being vulnerable and having feelings and emotions? And when you know that, let's say one partner is very expressive emotionally and the other one is not, you know, looking at that as more from the accepting lens, right? That it's not that my partner doesn't want to hear me or can't tell me what's happening in their minds, right? It, it, they're struggling. Perhaps they don't even know what they're feeling, right? So there comes the empathy piece of, oh, I understand you didn't grow up in a family like that. Now, that's not an excuse for bad behavior, of course. That's not to minimize anything that's toxic or abusive, but that gives us a perspective of this may be, we may not be on the same page, on the same level when it comes to expressing our emotions. And the more compassion and understanding there is of our differences, the better the relationship is. Because at the end of the day, we are different people. Even siblings, even twins growing up in the same family can have different personalities, right? And different experiences. So to expect our partner to think exactly like us when we come from different families, different backgrounds, oftentimes, right? Different places and all of that is really unrealistic. So we need to create this safe environment where we can dialogue about our differences. Such a wonderful phrase. The more compassion and understanding there is of the differences, the better the relationship there is. And that's the first time I've heard of meta emotions and I love it because I've heard of meta communication, like talking about what, what you're talking about. So I love this idea of asking, you know, what do you feel about feelings and being open to them and how well you're in touch with them. So all really awesome advice and thank you for that. And I want to move forward on to today's topic about the transition to parenthood. And I wanted to see if you could just give us like a survey of the field, so to speak, because, you know, I read different studies about how challenging it is for any relationship as I begin to have children. And it seems pretty dire to me. I remember reading in one of Dr. Sue Johnson's books that couples will have seven times as many arguments after children than before and how, you know, a vast majority of relationships will find their happiness level and satisfaction level to drop, frequency of sexual encounters drop. And meanwhile, lots of people dream of the joy of having children without fully realizing the challenges that they bring. So my first question is quite simple, like, how bad is it? <laughs> Yeah, good question. It's bad. It can get bad. Not to scare anybody, obviously. Having children is such a beautiful thing, right? It's um, it's beautiful, but it comes with a lot of stress. And I think a lot of people think about having babies and think about all the fun, beautiful parts of it, right? Uh, bonding, playing, and all that. But we often don't think about the stress that it brings. Parents are very stressed. You can be very irritable, uh, emotional, and fight a lot which makes sense. You're not sleeping at nights. A lot of men have to work more, or women as well, right? We have work stress, and yet we have to do everything else 
uh, that we were doing previously, plus taking care of the baby, right? You're you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're you're working full time, you're uh, bathing the baby, you're taking out the garbage, you're you're taking if you have dogs or cats, you're taking care of that. You know, if you are taking care of elderly parents, you're still doing all of that. Your laundry, groceries, I mean, everything is just a lot of work. And people who are sleep deprived, just generally speaking you are more likely to have symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety if you're deprived of sleep. That's just across the board for everybody, right? And when you think of parenthood, what's the first thing that you think about, right? When there's a newborn baby, (laughs) I mean, you have to feed them every two hours and change diapers and things like that because baby's only way of communication is through crying, right? They're not logical. They don't know language. It's completely appropriate for their early development, but they they cry when they need anything, whether they they cry when they're hungry, they cry when they're uh, gassy, they cry when they want attention, <laughs> they cry, which is completely normal. But if you're sleep deprived and you're going from, you know, with two hours of sleep and you have to work and if you have other kids, right, take care of, it's a lot. So it's very challenging. And that's not even to say uh, all the other changes that happen, right? The, if there is... Um, time to heal physically after having a baby for women. There is no time usually for any kind of hobbies and interests you had before, uh, unless you have lots of help. But even then, right, it can be quite challenging and partners can be left feeling unappreciated, even though both partners are working harder. But it's just hard to notice because, like I said, you're so tired and stressed and sleep deprived. So there is no time to nurture the friendship, the romance, sexual intimacy, and so on. So it, it can be a very challenging time, and all of that can definitely affect the baby as well, right? If the parents are fighting and tense, they're not as able to show up for the baby emotionally as well. And when babies are that, that young, that they all pick up the nonverbal communication more, right? So it's important that we are taking care of ourselves and our partners so we can show up for our babies. All right. So you've painted a pretty challenging picture. (laughs) (laughs) Parents don't sleep, a lot of stress. Baby just cries all the time. That's (laughs) the only way to communicate. So what can we do to prepare? Like, let's say, you know, me and my partner, we just got pregnant and we want to do whatever we can in advance to ensure just happiness and success once the baby comes out. Yeah. So the first thing is just normalizing this, right? That most couples go through this, not to freak out about the relationship that, oh, it must be something bad about me or my partner. Both of you are stressed. It's a normal thing. And just bringing in compassion, working on managing conflict better. And I'm using the word manage because conflict is inevitable. You know, the goal is never to eliminate conflict. It's just to manage it better so that um, you're both feeling closer at the end of it and not disengaged. One thing that would really help most couples is to uh, soften how you bring up a problem, right? So a lot of times the way the research shows that the way the very first few minutes of how you bring up uh, a problem will predict how it will end and how also the relationship will be affected by it. So uh, soften startups is what Gottman calls it, are very important. And what that is, is just, you know, it much refers to how you bring up an issue with your partner. You know, if you if you start with soft, soft voice, you know, making requests instead of demands, talking about how, what you want to see happen, uh, how you feel, you know, um, for example, I feel, you know, I felt um, sad that um, I had to 
wake up again and feed the baby, I felt unsupported. Can you please help me tomorrow? Right. Something like that, you know, would go better than why do I always have to be the one waking up and you never do this. All you care about is your work and you don't take care of the baby as much as I do. And then, you know, you see how that can go to a worse place. So soft and startup, just being very aware of how you bring up an issue can be really helpful. The other thing is just really working and continuously nourishing your friendship. Friendship is pretty important, you know, so if you had a good friendship before, that's great. But being able to continuously nurture it so it doesn't, um, so you look at it as partners, as, as equals, teaming up and taking care of this beautiful baby that you've created together, right? Not having one partner do all of it and that a person is checked out. Um, also being able to take care of your own needs, right? If you need a couple of minutes to um, self-soothe yourself, having making sure that that's communicated and you can do as much as possible. I mean, I know it's really difficult, right? To find any time for yourself, but even if that means five, 10 minutes of deep breathing or meditation, that can be really helpful. So what I'm really hearing is that basically almost all of the skills that are going to strengthen your relationship are going to help when there's any stress on the relationship, whether it's work or in this case, a child. So bringing in compassion, being able to manage conflict, soften your startup, complete uh, focus on nourishing your friendship and also focus on love for yourself and the ability to soothe yourself during an argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, obviously arguments can happen. We're not expecting perfection that doesn't exist. And but are you able to make repairs when you mess up, when you make a mistake? Can you go back and say, hey, you know, I've been very frustrated. I'm sorry I snapped at you. This is what's happening with me, right? So making repairs, right? It's okay if we mess up, but we need to be able to turn towards each other and be vulnerable and connect in that way. So you mentioned the research that Gottman does, and I'm thinking about two images in my mind. One is that Gottman used this term, the masters and the disasters. And thinking about like, oh, what do the master people that have mastered the relationship do and what do the disasters uh, tend to do or not to do? And then another image I have is kind of like both parents lying in bed at like 1 a.m. and the baby's crying and they're like, maybe if I pretend I'm asleep long enough, the other one will go take care of them, which is not a good system, right? So I'm wondering, like, you know, what systems, practices do the masters, what you might call like the people who who navigate having a child with ease, what do they create and do in the relationship that really works? Yeah, good question. So one thing is, you know, masters, you know, so couples who are successful at maintaining their connection, friendship, all of that, you know, they turn towards each other more than turning away. So every day we make these bids, what Gottman refers to as making bids for connections, right? In other words, attempts to connect with our partner. They can be verbal and nonverbal. And the partner has three choices in that moment, right? To recognize that their partner is trying to connect with them and to turn towards them. If you get a rub on the back, you turn and hug them back, right? You don't ignore that. Or if they're saying, hey, you know what happened at work today? This interesting happened. You turn, you have eye contact, you ask them what happened, you ask open-ended questions, you show your interest. So that's turning towards. They can also turn away when they just don't respond, right? Uh, and this happens oftentimes not out of any ill intent, 
But we're just busy with work. We're, you know, nowadays we're almost you know, on, the, on our phones all the time, right? So we're occupied with something else and our partner says something or does something to try to connect and we're just kind of ignoring them. So that's turning away. And then we can also turn against so that that's turning and actually verbally attacking them. Like, um, can't you see I'm busy? I'm doing something, you know, can you wait? Or I don't really care about what happened with your day at work. Can you see I have to change a diaper, right? Snapping at them. So masters turn toward one another more frequently. And in those everyday little moments, when we recognize that our partner is trying to connect and we turn towards them, that increases intimacy, that increases connection. That helps with the romance as well and then friendship. So that's one significant thing that masters are doing that the couples who are not doing that well are not doing. So, so far we've, you know, been talking about like two parents raising a baby and I'm thinking about the common phrase we all know that it takes a village to raise a child. And it's a common phrase we all know, but few people live it, right? We still live in a society that plays a huge emphasis on the nuclear family. So I'm curious, like in your experience and with couples, what role can community or support network or aunts and uncles or grandparents, how can we bring in more people to kind of ease the burden uh, on the parents themselves? Yeah, I think it's great. You know, um, couples who have that additional support. They're very lucky and that's great. You know, if you have grandparents or uncles, aunts to help, that's great because you may need that hour just to nap and have someone watch the baby or have a date night, even if that means just going on a walk with your husband, you know, something like that. So absolutely, that's so wonderful to have that additional support. Unfortunately, many couples don't have that. And, you know, they have to not only take care of the baby, but also work. And that's additional stress. Right. So, yes, I think that's unfortunately um, not accessible to everyone. But if you have that support, definitely reaching out and, you know, asking for that help can be very, very important. And also just realizing that you can help each other, you know, as long as there is open communication so that you know what the other partner needs. Right. Like, hey, I just want to nap right now for 30 minutes. Can you watch the baby? Right. Just communicating around it can be helpful. So earlier you mentioned a baby is basically an additional stress. Yes, it's joy. Yes, there's bonding and connection and just this miracle before you. But it is challenging and just bringing compassion and the universality to experience that this is something every parent goes through can help one weather the storm, so to speak. And I'm curious... one year, two year, three year, four year, when things start to improve, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, that, you know, the first year is the hardest. And then others will say, oh, then it gets to the terrible twos. <laughs> and then it's yeah. like, is there a light then tenor? Oh, does, what point does the burden lessen? Yeah, I, th- I think it gets easier, obviously, when, when the child is able to sleep through the night, right? But again, this is so different per couple and the temperament of the child and, and how many kids they have and the circumstances, right? Yes, you're right. Like you'll hear terrible twos. And then you hear people who say, oh, my, my child was an angel when he or she was two years old, right? Um, and then five comes and then it's a different story. So it varies. Obviously, children have the developmental stages. They go through it each age. And the older they get, the more they understand and you can communicate with them more. So that, that gets easier. But at the end of the day, you know, how the relationship is, if you forget the children for a second and just get the couple, right? 
those partners, their relationship also play a role in how the child is. A lot of times their conflict, the toxicity of the relationship will affect the child and it will show up in, in a way of uh, misbehaving, behavioral problems, right? And then the child will become the focus and the problem, so to say, but it's actually not the, the child is not the problem, right? They're reacting in response to the environment that they're in. Um, so no matter how we look at this issue, the parents and them being a we instead of I, so being a, a teammates and managing conflict well and being friends who are supporting each other, that shows not only to be beneficial for them, but also for the child, regardless of the age. So a good relationship makes for a happy family. Mm-hmm. So you've already given us some really awesome ideas to, to begin to think about. And I keep hearing you come back to cultivating friendship, being nice to each other, appreciating each other, supporting each other. Uh, you mentioned being a we rather than I. And I just imagine just this continuous process of cultivation um, rather than turn against, return toward, rather than turn away, return toward. And I'm just wondering, what are some other things that are taught in the Bringing Baby Home workshop that new parents should know about? Yeah. So, you know, on the topic of friendship, one way to do that is to constantly work on improving your love maps. Now, love maps are your uh, understanding of your partners in our world, right? And if you think the easiest way to think about it is you know, when you're just dating someone, right, very new, you're excited, um, all of the wonderful, happy chemicals in your brain, what do you do? You get to know your partner. You ask open-ended questions. You want to know everything about them from uh, their favorite TV show to the worst day of their past to their dreams, their hopes, their goals in life, their biggest fears, things like that, right? You get to know the person. And then we stop doing that because we assume we know the person. But we all grow, we all change. And especially when you have a baby, that's such a life-altering experience. Your values may change, your, your views may change. So continuously working on love maps and knowing each other's inner worlds is crucial, right? And the way you do that is just asking open-ended questions, right? So open-ended questions are questions that will elicit an answer in more detail than like a yes or no answer, right? So a lot of times when you're busy, you have a child and you have work and all the other responsibilities, the questions turn to be, did you pick up dry cleaning? Yes or no, right? What are we doing this weekend? Are we going to your mom's? Yes or no. So there isn't much to go off of that, right? So having questions like, how do you like being a dad? How do you like being a mom? What's your favorite part about being a mom or a dad, right? What's the most challenging part of that for you? Has something changed about your view of the world since you've become a parent? You know, just anything like what, what would you want a relationship to be like in two, three, whatever, five years? Things like that that get the couple to dream together, talk together, open up more, creates intimacy and connection, right? So you definitely want to do that. And you also want to work on just sharing that appreciation, right? Affection, appreciation with each other, verbally saying, I appreciate that you did like do this, or I thank you for that, right? It means a lot, especially when people are stress, stressed and sleep deprived. So more appreciation and verbally saying it, even if you're thinking it, a lot of couples will think wonderful things about their partners, but not say it. So making sure that you are saying that. Also, 
physical touch. You know, that's one of the love languages. It's a really great book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. So physical touch is one of them. And it's not just about sex. It's also holding hands, massages, rubs on the back, right? Things like that. Cuddles. Um, And that is very important because we heal with physical touch, right? Even with babies, like premature babies, if you, if they get massages, they, they actually uh, heal and grow faster, right? So not just for our, ourselves, but the babies as well, we're very much relational beings. So making sure you still have that physical touch, holding hands, cuddling, affection, longer hugs, things like that can really create that atmosphere of friendship, connection, being a we, right? And it takes not that long to make sure that you hug and kiss each other in the mornings, right? We think it's this whole thing, but we should take longer to complain. So instead of that, we could we could probably hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just what I keep hearing from you is get to know each other, appreciate each other, and touch each other. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it just reminds me of a concept that's come up again and again in the podcast is this basic idea that love is a verb. Mm -hmm. Love is something you continue to do. And I think a lot of people think that the relationship is a thing. Once they have it, once you say, I do, then you can set it off to the side. But of course, I love your emphasis on continuing to get to know this person on a deep down emotional level, because every day is different. Every moment is different. We're always changing and you can never fully know somebody. Absolutely. So I want to go a little bit back to the world of of babies. And I was wondering if you had any tips to navigate the conflicting world of baby advice. Because, <laughs> like, you know, if you want like 12 different answers to a question, mm-hmm. you can just ask 12 different moms or yeah. grandmoms. Oh, I don't want to gender it. It's as 12 different people. And often even new parents will get all sorts of unsolicited advice. Mm-hmm. Um And so how do you, you know, how do you know what works and what doesn't? You know, you work with lots of different people. And how do we navigate the world of what works and what doesn't? Yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, so much out there, right? Well, I I think it depends on what questions they have, right? My go-to answer to that is ask the experts, right? Most people who give advice, I mean, it's coming from a good place, right? You'll have your grandmother say something. and But obviously, when they were raising kids, that was a different time than now. You have friends. But each child is different. Each case is different. While there are very universal, like, yes, do this, don't do that. This will be harmful for your baby. This is good for your baby. A lot of the questions are in that gray area, right? So whether you're wanting advice about medical questions about your child, right? Or maybe psychological. I think asking the experts, right? Can you ask your doctor, right? Your pediatrician about what's best for your baby that's actually examining your baby and knows your baby and all of that, right? Your child is having any behavioral problems. There are amazing child therapists out there who specialize just mm. on that. Like they've, they've done their whole work, uh, all the schooling and all the additional trainings to really help children on their level with their development to overcome any problems, right? Mm. Uh, If you're having relationship problems and you feel that that's affecting your baby, can you seek couples therapy, right? That's what we do, right? And in that way, you're getting the feedback and the advice from people who've not only studied that for many years, but also have worked for many years with different couples, different children, 
and they can give you the best advice. Because if you get on the internet, there is so much stuff there and everybody can go and just post something and claim to be an expert and, and claim to know, you know, and, uh, and perhaps some of them have good points, but you don't want to gamble with those things. Um, and then the second piece of that is, um, you know, boundaries. If, if you are bothered by people giving you advice when you don't ask for advice and, uh, you know, how do you gently and respectively decline or, or, or say, thank you, uh, I'll take that into consideration, but don't do that. You know what I mean? Instead of getting upset and taking personally and it affecting your own well-being. So ask the experts. I love that. And that's why I wanted you on the show. because <laughs> <laughs> So you could help us navigate this these challenging dynamics. Along this line of asking the experts, earlier you mentioned many couples come to couples counseling and it's been long overdue. So I'm curious, you know, as a therapist with a focus on couples and attachment, when's the best time for a couple to start seeing a professional? Um, well, I, I love premarital couples therapy, you know, and this is when you come in when you don't have any problems. Lots of couples come in because they want to make sure they learn all the tools, um, whether it's how to manage conflict or what makes relationships work, what to expect when you're expecting a baby, all of those things before they even get married or, you know, commit if they don't want to uh, get married. And the idea is that you're getting all this information, right? You're doing an assessment, you're understanding what your strengths are as a couple, what you should do more, as well as what the areas are that you might need to work a little bit more on, right? This is where you understand your individual upbringing and uh, the meta emotions, everything else that goes into that. So you can understand each other better and you know the research of what makes relationships work and what I should or should not do in the future. So it's sort of like preparing and being proactive and getting insurance uh, for your relationship. You know, you want to learn all these things before, you know, the average couple comes in uh, six years after they've been having a lot of conflict already. So they're six years wow. late, you know, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, you, and that's not to say that you can't work on your relationship then. I've seen many couples who come in when they're arguing, they're not close. There is this engagement, there is uh, this connection and they heal through all of that. They work and, you know, they're doing well. But if you can come in early on when nothing is actually happening and learn all these skills, it's short-term therapy. It's not supposed to be long-term you will feel more confident. You will start from the beginning communicating in an effective way. Uh, you know, none of us are born knowing how to communicate properly, right? This is not something that is taught in most families or in schools. So it's just good to know, to have all this information before you start a family, before you live your life together. Uh, it can only help. Wonderful advice. You know, even, even if you don't feel like you have any problems in your life, a therapist can help. Even if your relationship is really good, a therapist can help. And there's no shame whatsoever in getting a professional to bring more joinees into whatever challenges you're experiencing in life. So thank you so much, Anna, for coming onto the show and sharing us this awesome advice for navigating not only being a new parent and having a baby, but really awesome advice for just relationships and marriages in general. And then to finish, I want to ask you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Oh, that's an, I love that question. You know, you said earlier, like love is a verb, right? 
I would also add that love is not a destination. And what I mean by that is, yes, you, you, you meet someone, you fall in love, you commit to each other. That's not it. That's not a guarantee of happily ever after, right? No relationship is just because you're together, safe from conflict, from betrayal, from disengagement, disconnection, all of that. So relationship and love means work. But by work, I don't mean that you know, one person is working and doing everything and the other person is not. It's both partners showing up, choosing each other every day, in every moment, whether you're having challenges or you're, you're celebrating life. So it's that. It, it's really, it's not a destination. It's showing up for your partner every day and working on choosing each other, choosing yourself as well, right? So, so it's a healthy kind of love, taking care of yourself, as well as taking care of the relationship, but making that conscious choice of like, this is love, right? It means I have to show up and try to understand this person, right? And try to learn more about them and try to show up and be vulnerable with them and grow with them, right? So it, it's almost like this ongoing long journey that we're on. It's not a destination. Wonderful. I hope our listeners wake up tomorrow and choose their partner and give them the appreciation that they deserve. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming on to the show. For our listeners who want to learn more about you and perhaps work with you, how can they find you? They can go to my website, mytherapycorner.com. They can also follow me on Instagram, again, mytherapycorner.com. Um, they can email, that's info at mytherapycorner.com. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for giving me a little peek into what happens at the My Therapy Corner. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you realize that whether you are becoming a parent, already a parent, that the same principles apply to having a strong and happy relationship. Remember to turn toward each other rather than away. Remember to help each other and cultivate friendship. Remember to make requests and not demands. And when you do have a baby and if you're having any trouble navigating that challenge, you can always ask the experts as well. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Anna. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 